surround you with. And you're feeling uncertain, unsettled, and you need him to surround you with his stability. You need him to surround you with his peace, with his forgiveness. Surround you with his grace. Surround you with his instruction and righteousness. What is it that you need the Lord to surround you with? Before I pray, I'm just going to let you... Have a moment so you can offer that prayer to the Lord and say, Lord, surround me with this. This is what I'm looking for. Maybe you don't know what you need, but you just know, God, I, I need something from you. Will, you. will you make me aware of what I need from you to surround me today or this week or this season? You go ahead and you go to the Lord in just a moment. I'll pray over us all. Surround us, Lord, like mountains surround Jerusalem. Those mountains provide safety and protection, stability, strategically, Jerusalem was situated so that it could be protected from hostile enemies. We have hostile enemies of which we can't see, Lord. Paul tells us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against the principalities and powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world. And yet, Lord, we continue to want to place people, other people, in the position of our hostile enemies. Lord, give us a heart to understand that it's not other people who are our hostile enemies, but it is the principalities and powers. And then, Lord, I pray and I ask that you'd surround us and protect us from those principalities and powers to come in and to affect us in such a way that we operate in fear and anxiety. Hostility and hatred. Uh, Lord, when the hostile powers come in, we are not able to love and have compassion and have empathy and seek the good of our neighbor and seek the good of our community. Rather, we hunker down and everybody becomes suspect. So, Lord, I pray and I ask that you would surround us so that we could continue to be your lively people who live in the midst of this present ruinous age. We live peaceably and at peace, joyfully. We live in abundance where the news reeks of scarcity. 
We, we live not self and not in a state of self-preservation, but in a state of self-giving love for it. Surround us, we pray. Lord, we pray all these things in the mighty, resurrected name of Jesus. Amen. I had to close off that prayer because I could have kept going, y'all. You know, it's really funny. Um, I never, I never know where the Spirit's going to lead me. Um, if any of the children didn't leave for uh, Children's Church, but you want to leave for Children's Church, you can go now. Um, I'm sorry. I, I took over that time. But uh, yeah, if y'all want to go to Children's Church, y'all can go ahead and go back. Y'all don't have to be stuck in here with boring old me. Your parents do. They're stuck. All right. Look at those cute kids. They're always sweet here at church, aren't they? Y'all didn't agree with that. Weird. <laughs> Some of us have taught Sunday school. Hey, okay, so it's always very strange to me, like, where my study is going to take me. I like, uh, especially, like, if I'm not, like, if, I, if we're not rooted in a text, you know, um, like, and I know, hey, we did this passage, and next week we're going to go on to the next passage. Like, if I'm not rooted in a text, and I'm just like, okay, God, like, lead me, guide me, direct me, take me where you want me to go. I'm always pretty amazed at what happens because sometimes he takes me to places like this week. I don't know why, but I had this hankering in my soul to go to uh, Chronicles, the books of Chronicles, and to, to begin studying. And, and I don't know if you know this, like Chronicles, it starts out really fun. For the first nine chapters of First Chronicles, you have genealogies, and we all love a good genealogy, don't we? Like to just like, you know, get, get, get like a nice cup of coffee and get your comfy slippers on and sit down and, and just, ooh, I could snuggle up next to a good genealogy all day, right? Yeah, right. Okay. Like none of us, like you get to the genealogies. Most people say like, oh, I tried to read through the Bible and then I got to numbers and like Leviticus was hard enough. And then I got to numbers and it was like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm sorry. Not reading the Bible again this year. That's like a, year number 12 fail, right? Um, and sometimes, I'll, I'll just tell you, sometimes like I get to the genealogies and I'm like, I know what's happening here. He begat he, who begat him, who was the son of, and very, very rarely, but sometimes, and then they'll be like, and then there was a woman involved. Like, like very rarely, it's all like the, the, the men genealogies going on there. Um, so sometimes I'll just go like, I know what's going on, and I'm just going to go ahead and jump to chapter 10, and we're going to get started with the great history and the narrative. Um, and if you don't know anything about like uh, the Old Testament very much, a lot of people aren't really rooted and schooled in the Old Testament, uh, I would just encourage you, like, man, the, the narratives that are in the Old Testament, that's what drew me to fall in love with Scripture. Like, the narratives in the Old Testament. And actually, that kind of shaped my heart and my mind so that, like, whenever I read the New Testament, I don't read it like it's a textbook, like, where it's like, hey, like, you know, God, give me, give me the bullet points, you know, and just, uh, just, just tell me what to do. It's like, 
did I read the New Testament and I find, oh, this is situated in a narrative too. And, um, and it becomes more alive and more powerful and more lovely and beautiful. Um, and so all that to say is like a lot of times like I want to get to the narrative. I want to see the story. And so I got into First Chronicles and I'm starting to read and I was about to jump forward and the Lord was like, just hang out here for a few minutes. Just read all the begats. I'm like, all right, we're doing it. We're going to do this thing. And uh, and where the Lord took me from there was totally unexpected. But it wasn't just unexpected. He brought me to some familiar things that I knew, but it's, but it hit me in such a way that it was like, man, it was unexpected, but then you come to your senses and you're like, that's not just unexpected, that's scandalous. It's not just unexpected, it's, it's actually kind of a scandal. Could you imagine saying this in that day? And then I stepped back even a bit further, and I was like, huh, unexpected and scandalous. That's just the way the Lord works. We just, we just did uh, Christmas, and this, this so-called virgin is with child. How did uh, aunts and uncles respond to that news? Oh, 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 you're a child of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> okay. You and jo Joseph had nothing to do with this? And Mary had to bear it. She had to bear people thinking she's a dirty girl. So yeah, God seems to do things that are not just unexpected, but a bit scandalous. And then I thought about like where we're at as a church. And like we experienced a ton of loss last year. And we're in the season where we're trying to rest and seek healing. Trying not to work out of anxiety. Or scarcity, or self-preservation, but to work out of peace, to work out of abundance, trusting in God's abundance, to work out of love, self-giving love, selfless love. But I'm like, I'm sure that God is like, hey, there's a, there's something, there's somewhere that I'm gonna take you. Somewhere where we're going to go as a, as a body of believers. And I think it's going to be a little unexpected. And then I'm like, you're the God who works not just in unexpected ways, but ways that can seem scandalous. 
So maybe you and I need to be prepared that he's not going to do the same old, same old here at Friendswood Baptist Church. So, that's, uh, that's what I, that's where the Spirit took me this week. But I want y'all to see in the text, and this is just one text of a, all, of so many texts in which God works in unexpected, yes, but not just unexpected, but in scandalous, scandalous ways. Uh, so, uh, let's start here. First Chronicles. Do you know why it starts out with genealogies? Anybody want to raise your hand and give the uh, answer to that? I'll wait. Huh. Well, don't be too sad because I asked that same question this week. <laughs> I was like, all right, what's the deal with the genealogies, right? And if you pay attention, well, first, a few things you need to know about the books of Chronicles themselves. In our uh, canon of scripture, how we have it ordered, they're, they're in the historical section of the book. And you go 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. And Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Jerusalem's Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and the last book, Malachi. Y'all got it. Miss Vicky taught me that whenever I was a wee one, and I've remembered it ever since. But in its original compilation, and y'all have to understand, so the, the Old Testament was compiled. It didn't just like it didn't just fall out of heaven. And, oh, we have this holy book, and what are we going to do with this holy book? It was compiled, and, and actually, uh, at, at, in its, in, in like all the books that we have now, they were largely compiled in the exile and post-exilic years. And so when you read the Old Testament, in, in, in a sense, you need to understand that, like, that shading all of the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures, however you want to call it, shading all of that is this, is this great question there was these people who were the covenant people of god who were blessed who were um given authority in a region and given a land and they lost it all they were they were their 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 uh their capital city was ransacked their king was taken hostage along with a lot of other elites and the city was left in ruins and then 10 years later the city was destroyed And if you're a people who has a, a foundational story that says you are the chosen ones of God, you're the blessed people. It started all the way back with Abraham. And let me tell you the story. And you found yourself in exile. And you found your holy city smashed into bits and left for ruin. You would go, how do we process this? And when you read the Old Testament, you should think shading over the whole Old Testament is how do we process this story that said that we were God's choice ones and he gave us this land 
and he dwelled with us in this land. And then we were taken out of the land and his dwelling was smashed and his people were scattered. How do we deal with this? And one reason why you should read that that way and understand it, that it was compiled in that way, is because that's true and that's history. But also it will help you understand that in the original compilation of the Hebrew text, if you were to go open a Hebrew Bible and see how they have their books ordered, First and Second Chronicles are the last books. They're the last books in the Hebrew ordering of Scripture. And the genealogies serve to tell a generation and the generations after the exile, the generation of the exile and the generations after the exile, to tell them a bit of their history, but to kind of, kind of lock their history into a couple of things. For one, the genealogies lock their history into this idea that God made a promise with David that he... His throne would be everlasting. That his throne, his, his dynasty would go on and on and on and on and on. So I know we're living in the exile and I know we're under Persian rule. But let me tell you something. God, has, God made a covenant with David. And he told David that there will always be one of yours, one of your children, and grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren sitting on my throne, ruling over my people, Israel. And so Chronicles sets up these genealogies, and it leads us and it points us to David to say, hey, listen, the old promise is still there. All right? Are y'all tracking? Y'all following? So let's go ahead and... Read how Chronicles ends. So your first nine chapters, you're getting all these genealogies, and you get to David. David! Or as my mom, your brother David, how would uh, grandma say David? Little David. That's my uncle's name, and it, my grandma would always, oh, little David. I don't care. David's not little. Uh, <laughs> but he was always her little old David, and he could do no wrong, although he did some wrong, uh, like we all do. He's, and just so y'all know, he's like my favorite uh, uncle. Um, and if any other uncles are listening, you're my favorite too. Um, but uh, but he, he, I love him dearly. He has taken good care of us since my dad passed. First nine chapters are leading you to David to assure Israel that God's promises are not, they're, they're still coming. God's not done with his promise to Israel. God has given you a king, and he's given that king a promise, and God is going to make good on that promise. And 2 Chronicles chapter number 36, the last verses of, if you're reading the Hebrew canon scripture, this would be the last verses that you read as you read through everything. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. Now in the first year of who? Cyrus. King of what? 
Is Cyrus an ancestor of David? Is Persia another name for Israel? No. All right. So that the word of the Lord by the mouth or through the mouth of the prophet Jeremiah might be filled. So that what God spoke to Jeremiah might come to pass. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that Cyrus made a proclamation throughout all of his kingdom and also put it in writing saying, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord or Yahweh, the God of heaven has given to me. And he commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you of all his people? May the Lord, his God, be with him and let him go up. Chronicles leads you to David. And if you are a little bit, want to go a little bit further, it leads you to see how David wanted to build the temple of the Lord. But David wasn't given, uh, that wasn't his job, so he did the preparations for the building of the temple. And then Solomon, his son, comes after him. And Solomon builds the temple. And this beautiful, wonderful uh, dwelling of God had been smashed to bits. And at the very end of the book, there's this unexpected character whom the Lord stirs up his spirit. This unexpected character named Cyrus. And he says, the Lord has, he has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. And he's commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. And so Cyrus says to all the scattered of Israel, who is among you of all of his people? Which one of you came from Jerusalem? Maybe you weren't even born in Jerusalem, but your, your ancestors were. Raise your hands. Let's see. May the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. I want you to go back to Jerusalem. And I want you to build the temple that God has commanded me to build. Cyrus, king of Persia. Uh, let me give you another text just so you, we can see a little bit more of where we're coming at with this unexpected idea. This is in Isaiah 46. Oh, you know what? Uh, this is not the right text. Uh, hold on. It is. It's only half of it. I don't know why it's doing that. Oh, okay, here we go. That's what I need. Isaiah 45, verses 1 and 2. All right, sorry. This is the prophet Isaiah speaking. <sighs> Technology. Thus says the Lord to his anointed. Does anybody know what that word anointed means in Hebrew? Or what, it, what that term is in Hebrew? It's the same term that we get the word Messiah, anointed. 
Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held. I've held his right hand so he could subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked place straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brawn and cut the bars of iron. I have chosen Cyrus. I have anointed Cyrus and I am going to be with him and no, nobody's going to stand in Cyrus's way. I will give you the treasure of darkness and hidden riches of secret places. I'm going to give you stuff that you couldn't even dream of. That you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name, am the God of Israel. I go and I read through Chronicles and I see it setting us up for David and for David's dynasty and it's setting us up for the temple in this time when the temple has been smashed and it's wanting to kind of give us some hope and, 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 and promises. And at the end of the book, it's not David, it's not David's lineage, but it's Cyrus. It's Cyrus who God is working through and it's through Cyrus that the temple is going to be rebuilt. Is it not? Let's see the scandal of this all. Imagine today, imagine today, that uh, Russia went ahead and pursued Ukraine. They were, they were slow playing it this whole time. This, you know, nearly two years now, they were slow playing it. But then they went ahead and they just, they rose up, they took over Ukraine, and then, and then the rest of NATO fell, right? And Ukraine's not part of NATO, we understand that, but but then the, the NATO allies fell, and, and we were subdued to Russia, you and I. We were no longer the United States of America. We were a colony or a territory of the, uh, the USSR, as it were. And God spoke a promise to us and said, I'm going to work through, I'm going to take care of you through Vladimir Putin. How many of y'all would be like, that sounds right. That sounds about right. That sounds about what God would do. That's, that's our God for us. How many of you would say, if somebody were to come in here and preach that message, would you tar and feather? They wouldn't make it out of the door, would they? And if you didn't act up, and if you didn't actually say anything, you would in your spirit go, no way. That's our captor. That's our abuser. He's not a friend. He's a foe. And this is what's so crazy. In this, in this wonderful text of God, he, 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 he does this very unexpected thing, which you're like, oh man, I didn't see that coming. But it's not just unexpected, it's scandalous. Cyrus, Cyrus, not never Cyrus. See, we've, we've read it, we're, we, we, we know the history, we've read it. So, so we, often we just go, look, God stirred up Cyrus, and that's kind of neat that he did that. It's not neat that he did it, it's scandalous that he did this. Do you see it? Can you grab it? This is not the way things should go. 
What's interesting is, is, is just a little bit before this, and, and I don't have it in, um, on the screen, but Isaiah 43, uh, verses 18 through 19. I'm just going to read them to you for a second. Isaiah 43, verses 18 through 19. This is part of that same context in which God is trying to tell his children, Israel, I'm going to do a good thing. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. I've seen you in bondage, but I'm going to bring you back home. You wait on the Lord. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up us with wings like eagles, and they shall soar. They shall run and never be afraid or never faint, never weary. In the same context that God is giving hope to his people Israel, he says, Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Why? Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you know it? Don't remember how I did things before. I'm doing something new. And then you find out in chapter 45, I'm not just doing something new and unexpected. I'm doing something that you would scratch your head and say, Cyrus, he's your Messiah. He's the anointed one. Wow. And yet we find, while we might be surprised at this scandal, yet we find that uh, if you come to think of it, God has always worked it in unexpected and scandalous ways. It's not going to be Esau, the older brother, but it's going to be Jacob, the younger brother, who rules over him. And Jacob, Jacob, I'm just going to show you, Jacob isn't more honorable than Esau. He's not more honorable than Esau. He's a trickster and he's a huckster. He's a snake oil salesman. I'm going to show you that it's going to be Judah's sons through Tamar. Y'all know the the unexpected scandal of Tamar? If you don't, that's some riveting reading right there. A very interesting story that we have in this, in this great majestic text of ours. It's one of those stories where you go, that's in the Bible? And we have to remind ourselves, that not all the Bible story, stories are children's stories. It's unexpected that he would, that the royal line would go through Judah and not through Judah and his legitimate wife. But through his daughter-in-law, Tamar, who tricked him. Interesting. Shall I go on? Because I can. I can go on. I just, oh, are y'all ready for it or do we got it? God works in unexpected and scandalous ways. And yet, we seem to always go, I got him all figured out. I know what, I've seen what the Lord, I've seen you do it before and I know what you're going to do next time. 
And so whenever we have these moments of crisis, whenever we have these moments of panic, we don't say, God, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to watch you do a new thing and it's probably going to scare me a little bit. We go, God, do something familiar. Do that old thing. Salve me again. Remember not the former things. I'm going to do something new. Are you even going to know what's happening when it hits you? And, and do, do the people know what's happening when it hits them? What's interesting about Isaiah's text is when you read that in light of Ezra and Nehemiah, when they're trying to get people to go back to Israel, you find out not everybody's ready to go back to Israel because not everybody trusts the edict. And yeah, they built the temple, but it took them a long time because in the midst of building the temple, they came up against some opposition and then they were like, God's not in this. There's a little opposition. And I'm not just trying to be mean or condescending whenever I say that, like whenever I say it that way, because I can promise you, you and I have stopped at a lot less, a lot less adversity. A lot less has tripped you and I up, hasn't it? Will you even know what's going on? Or will you be looking for God? God, you, you, you've always done it this way. Why aren't you doing it this way? Why, aren't you, why is it not David? Why is it not one of David's kids? Why is it Cyrus? It can't be Cyrus. Never Cyrus. And so we come to the table and we go, man, where, where's God going to take us? And everybody wants to go as friends with that. Well, let's, let's remember the old things. Let's remember the former ways. What if church is going to look radically different here at Friends of Baptist Church? Are we ready for it? What if the people coming into this building look radically different? They think things differently than we do. And it's through these people that uh, God's going to build a, or solidify or reestablish a faithful witness. A lively witness to his grace. Wow, I haven't even thought about the most unexpected scandal of them all. Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. God put on flesh and dwelt among us. It becomes so familiar to us that we don't see the scandal, do we? Oh, he worked through Cyrus. Cyrus is his anointed. That makes perfect sense. Not if you were there then. Oh, he worked through Jesus. God put on flesh. That makes sense. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. And what of this Jesus? Does he come and, and is he born into this palace? And is he pampered his whole life? And is he, is he trained with great military stratagem so that he can rise up and become the next warrior king like David? Nay. He does not. 
Does he conquer all of his enemies with a blood-splattered sword? Nope. Does he get arrested and tried in a kangaroo court? Does he get beaten? Does he get his beard plucked out and his face spit upon? Does he get mocked? Oh, let's give him his crown. I got one for you. Here's a crown of thorns. Let's smack it deep into his head. Does he get to the brink of death? And then, and then in the last moment, he comes, oh, here comes God to the rescue. No. On the cross, as people are walking by, watching him in anguish, suffering, they're mocking him. He saved others. Why can't he save himself? Some Messiah he is. He gives up his last breath. Unexpected, yes. Scandalous, oh, you bet your, you bet your bottom dollar. Scandalous. God comes to earth in human form, and he's not the victor. He's the trotting. Until the third day. And now we have this message that is so unexpected and yet it's scandalous because who goes to the grave and comes back from the grave? That was no more that was no more a welcome news back then as it is today. We can't fool ourselves and be like, well, the modern mind just can't put its can't wrap itself around it. The ancient mind couldn't wrap its mind around that. Nobody goes to the grave and comes back. So we have this unexpected news. On Friday he died, but on Sunday up from the grave he arose. And lest we forget, this message is scandalous. Because you and I look like a bunch of smiling goobers. Oh, I believe he, he rose from the dead. Okay, idiot. If you don't think that... You, that that's how we should be seen, then get it. The message is unexpected and it's scandalous. Scandalous. The good news is unexpected and it's scandalous. And it's unexpected and it's scandalous, not just because of how it worked out, but what it proclaims. And what does it proclaim? It proclaims to you and to me who are people who are filled with a lot of good and a lot of brokenness. It proclaims to us that no matter what, God loves us. And he offers us forgiveness. And he offers us healing from the ways that we've been traumatized and abused and misused. And what do, what do we have to pay for it? What do we have to do for it? 
we keep getting confused on that. Because that's the scandal of all scandals. Oh, God, no, I, if you're going to heal me, I'm going I'm I'm to make it do right by you. Because I'm, a, because I'm so good. Because I'm so upstanding. I, I don't take a handout. I'm not one of those who just takes a free handout. I'm going to work good for what you give me. And God says, I don't need you to do a thing. And actually, on a whole other wavelength, whatever you do couldn't measure up anyways. And then on a whole other other wavelength, he goes, I don't really want you to do a thing. I just want you to enjoy the fact that I love you. And I delight in you. Because I created you. And I can deal with your mess-ups. And I can help where others' mess-ups have hurt you. I love you. That's the scandal of all scandals, is it not? We can't even preach that, really. Oh, you're saying God loves unconditionally. I don't know. You got to say the prayer. Got to say the prayer. Okay, I'm not saying that you don't have to put some trust into this idea of God's love. I'm just saying you and I don't do a thing to earn it, to pay for it, to deserve it. And if that's true of me, and it's true of you, it's true of the gay and lesbian and the transgender and the Democrat and the Russian and the Hamas. And your coworker who annoys you. Who doesn't do their job, who doesn't carry their weight. Right? Because it's not only the Russians and the Hamas and the LGBTQ plus that we have a problem with or whatever. It's that we struggle with. It's uh, that person who's annoying. I don't know that God really loves them so much until they get their act together, right? Sadly... The scandalous news and the scandalous message uh, is a scandal all the way through. So maybe you're here and you've never trusted in this scandalous message and the scandalous news. And you've never trusted that, the, that you're part of the scandal. And you are the scandalized one because you are going to believe that God loves you with an everlasting love. So much so that whenever you come to him and you say, God, I've done some really shady things on accident. And I've done some maliciously rebellious things. He's going to say, okay, I forgive you. Or you're going to come to God and you're going to say some really terrible things have happened to me. And they've marked me and they've scarred me. And he's going to say, come here, let me heal you. You don't even have to pay a $90 uh, payment for the therapy session. And friends of Baptist Church, I think that we are in a place where God is about to do something new. And it seems very, very necessary for us to go ahead and clear our minds of what we think that's going to look like. 
I don't know what it looks like. I'm not even, I'm not even pretending to tell you, like, I have an idea and I'm setting you up for next Sunday. I have no idea except for this, that God is saying, hey, don't forget who I am. I'm the God who works in unexpected, yes, not just unexpected, but very scandalous ways. And most people, whenever I'm working, they don't even see it. They think it's not the work of God. It has to be the work of the enemy. It has to be something else is going on here. This isn't right. This isn't righteous. And Friendswood Baptist Church, you need to prepare yourselves because I'm the God who works in unexpected and scandalous ways. And I want to do something new here. Are you going to see it? Are you going to see it? So the prayer becomes, Lord, clear my mind of the former things and give me vision for that unexpected, scandalous thing that you're going to do it in our midst. Or you could say it like this, Lord, I want to be one of those people who trust that it's Cyrus. Because I bet in that day, why would they have to write that? I bet in that day, this is not just a little bit of promise, but also a little bit of propaganda. I promise you it's Cyrus, folks, because there are uprisals. Not Cyrus. Could it be Cyrus? I want to see, or maybe God, give us the eyes to see who is the Cyrus, or what is the Cyrus. I want to... Be able to see you do something new and trust it and walk with it and accept it, even, even if it seems scandalous. Are y'all tracking? We good? Y'all done? Because I'm done. All right. Let's go to the Lord. Let's go to the Lord. First, I'll just say, talk to God about what God's talking to you about. I don't know what he's talking to you about. I know the big message, but there might be another message that you are seeing and accepting and receiving. So our first order of business will be to talk to God about what God's talking to us about individually. And then also, I would say, let's pray this prayer. God, Give me the eyes to see the new thing that you're going to do.